Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. My name is Nick Sararis. It is Tuesday, and tomorrow is the Seattle Kraken Expansion Draft. Today's episode of the show is a primer to get you ready for all things Seattle Kraken Expansion Draft. Some of the players they can take, if you are unfamiliar with the way the NHL does expansion, I'll be covering the rules, the players that are and aren't eligible to be selected, the specifications of players that have to be made eligible by the existing 30 teams. The Vegas Golden Knights are exempt from this process. Because they are exempt from this process, they don't get their cut of Seattle's expansion fee, which is a whopping $650 million to bring an NHL franchise to Seattle. But before I get to today's show, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. Whatever podcasting platform is your favorite, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, all of the major podcasting platforms, this show is available Help support the show. Whatever platform you are on, throw the show a follow. If you're on Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button. Go to the show's page. Scroll all the way to the bottom. There are five clear purple stars. Hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. And if you have the time, beneath that is a little button. It says write a review in purple letters. If you have the time, please take a minute. Leave some words of encouragement. Support your content creators, folks. We are out here busting our asses, especially hockey content creators. Lots going on. You got the expansion draft. Last week, there were a couple of trades. We've got free agency and then the regular entry draft all on the horizon. Hockey-wise, there is a ton going on. No guests today. We're riding solo. This is just me shooting from the hip, expansion rules, all that jazz to get you ready to go. Because Wednesday's going to be an interesting, interesting day in the hockey universe. Some things are slowly but surely trickling out. A few insiders are getting information. Elliot Friedman already reported that the Florida Panthers player that Seattle is likely going to take is goaltender Chris Drieger. That Drieger and Seattle are working on an extension and that it is rumored to be in the ballpark of three years for $3 million per Drieger's 27 years old. He's never really had a ton of run at the NHL level up until this season, but I, most people in their mock drafts I've seen selecting Drieger as the Florida pick because you need a goaltender. Starting from the back, and even if you don't want to build your team around Chris Drieger going forward, having a 1A goalie in a tandem is always a good asset to have because there is a never-ending game of musical chairs in the crease for about... 18 of the now 32 teams who are constantly cycling around the same goalies who are very inconsistent year to year because goaltender is the most volatile position in all of sports where things are pretty consistently changing year to year. And part of that is in part because of the results in front of them, that they're a result of how the team in front of them plays. But some of that is just the nuances of hockey. Weird things happen, and that's why... The more information you have on some player, the better. Uh, Drieger has a very small sample size, less than a season's worth of NHL starts in net. That is not a ton to go off of when you're making a decision, but Seattle's rumored contract is only for three years, and it's only worth $3 million per year, which is 
a reasonable figure for someone who only has about 30 games of NHL experience. So we will see if Dreger and Seattle can come to terms before the expansion draft results are finalized on Wednesday night. In the United States, it will be on ESPN, the first major thing ESPN has done since it got the became the majority rights holder in the United States for the NHL. And we'll see how the NHL on ESPN goes. I, I am skeptical, but... Today's show is not for me to rag on ESPN. I'm sure that'll come in down the road. But, 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 I do have to give Carl's intro music some run. No audio drop because the Seattle Kraken don't have any highlights. I'll see you guys in one sec. With that, we will jump right on into it. Okay, so you are one of the existing 30 NHL teams that are not the Vegas Golden Knights. You can either protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goaltender, or you can opt for eight skaters and one goaltender. Now, you might be asking yourself, why would I choose less players overall and pick the eight skaters and one defenseman configuration as opposed to seven forwards, three defensemen. If you're a team with a lot of defensemen, obviously. If you're a team that has four defensemen you feel like are top quality, you wouldn't want to risk losing one of them to Seattle. So that would be the reason for that. But obviously, not every single player is eligible to be selected by Seattle. So first and second year, players are not eligible to be taken by Seattle. So anyone from the 2019 or the 2020 NHL draft, those players are exempt. Granted, they do not need to have an NHL contract. If they are just a draft pick and their rights are still held by another team, they are not eligible for Seattle to take. And if you are one of these teams, The only other thing you have to worry about is making sure you have enough players eligible for Seattle to take. Now, the NHL has these requirements in place to make sure to make sure that the existing NHL teams do not take advantage of said expansion team. The NHL does not want the newest team that it just brought into the league to be cannon fodder for the rest of the league. They don't want the new team to be the pushover that the established teams already beat up on. So in the interest in competitive fairness, there are some stipulations that teams have to meet in terms of who they make available so that no one gets an AHL player that was signed solely to make exposed in the expansion draft. So... Every NHL team needs to expose at least one defenseman that is under contract for the 2021-2022 season, so the season that would start in this upcoming October. They played at least 40 games in the 2021 season, the season that started this calendar year in January, or 70 NHL games over the span of 2019-2020, 2020-21. So that's a pretty wide range of players because you want to make sure, again, that you're making Seattle have not good players to pick from, but NHL players to pick from. For forwards, it's the exact same number of games qualifications, so 40 for 2021, 70 over the last two years. And then 
Goaltender, a little bit different. They have to be either under contract for this upcoming season or a restricted free agent this upcoming summer. And the goalie must have received a qualifying offer if they are a restricted free agent prior to being on the exposed list. And then lastly, the only other type of player I didn't touch on are people with career-ending injuries who haven't played in their teams at last 60 games. The NHL doesn't want those teams, those players being exposed in the expansion draft so that Seattle can immediately put them on long-term injured reserve and then bank that cap space. Think of it as what some of these teams we've seen around the league do with the contracts of Chris Pronger, of Marion Hosha, Marion Gabrick, Ryan Callahan. The NHL doesn't want Seattle to take one of those contracts from a team get that on their long-term injured reserve books and then bank the additional cap space because they want Seattle to field a team that is reasonable. So now that we've gone over what the 30 teams that are in existence already have to worry about, as for Seattle, Seattle needs to take one player from all the other 30 teams. They need to take at least 14 forwards, nine defensemen, and three goaltenders. That adds up a grand total of 26 the other four spots that seattle has at its disposal are up to seattle's discretion as to what they want to do with those other four so you have to have 14 forwards nine defensemen three goaltenders you select and then the other four spots you're at liberty to pick what you want from what's exposed the players seattle takes have to have at least 20 need to be under contract for the upcoming season so they could have up to 10 restricted unrestricted free agents they need to have a minimum collective salary cap hit of 64 million and they have the same salary cap ceiling as everyone else 81 and a half million which brings me to one of the really fascinating things about this entire expansion draft exercise in the nhl in particular is weaponizing cap space, using your cap space when the situation is right to pounce. That is, in particular, how the most recent expansion team prior to Seattle, the Vegas Golden Knights, have been so competitive from the get-go. Yes, they got some help from the NHL, the existing NHL teams in the expansion draft in side trades where Florida gave them Marcia Show, Jonathan Marcia Show and Riley Smith. Minnesota gave them Alex Talk. The Pittsburgh Penguins gave them Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, amongst the, those are the big ones that we that are important in the storytelling of the Vegas expansion draft. But what has allowed Vegas to not just be a one-year fluke? They have used their salary cap space and their draft picks and their prospects to pounce when elite talent is available. They've signed Alex Petrangelo as a free agent. They traded for Max Pacioretty. They traded for Mark Stone. They've pounced and used their cap space to get competitive right away because they have ownership that is willing to spend every last dollar they are allowed to within the realm of the salary cap. Seattle could opt to go with something similar where they only end up rostering about 70-ish million in salary and then you have $11 million going into this upcoming summer when there are going to be a number of teams that want to get rid of bad contracts. And I keep bringing up that $81.5 million salary cap figure because that's going to be the number for at least 
the next three years, according to what Elliot Friedman reported during the NHL playoffs. Elliot Friedman, reporter, Sportsnet in Canada, you know, 31 thoughts, that guy, yeah. He reported the salary cap could be stuck at $81.5 million for at least three years and as many as the next five seasons. Now, you need to understand that the salary cap is calculated based on projected revenue and a percent of that projected revenue. The NHL is a league that is extremely reliant upon ticket sales to get close to breaking even or making a profit. It is not like football. It is not like the NBA. It is not like Major League Baseball, which all have amazing television contracts, which gets them a ton of money before you even get to the ticketed audience. Now, the NHL's new TV deal with TNT and ESPN in the United States should help lighten the blow and maybe we get a salary cap increase in three seasons as opposed to five years down the road from now which would be a catastrophe for the league and the teams that are trying to maintain a competitive nature because the entire nhl is set up around keeping players underpaid until they are already close to being over the hill you cannot be an unrestricted free agent in the nhl until you are 27 years old or you have nine years of service so you can get to unrestricted free agency typically by age 27 but it could be as late as 29 if you stay in a restricted free agent signing restricted free agent contracts through your 20s and it leads to most players only being able to get one big unrestricted free agent contract before they start their statistical decline and they're worth less money. It's an unfair system. It's set up to deprive the player, make the player the enemy, make teams have to get rid of players, give them buyouts. That All of this is interconnected. Now, I'm not going to harp too much on the salary cap and the structure of the league because that's an entire podcast of its own right of how we can fix the NHL and its competitive balance or lack thereof. But in terms of Seattle, there are teams out there that need salary cap relief. The Tampa Bay Lightning, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the New York Islanders, the Philadelphia Flyers, the St. Louis Blues, the Nashville Predators, the Minnesota Wild, the Montreal Canadiens. There are teams who have exposed... Expensive name brand players, and they're daring Seattle general manager Ron Francis. Take this guy. He's good. He, I promise you, he's good. He might be a little bit dinged up, and he's old, but you, you, you got to sell tickets. You want this guy on your team. I mean, the big ones here, obviously, Vladimir Tarasenko, multi-time 30-goal scorer of the St. Louis Blues, Stanley Cup champion. Has not played a ton over the last two years. Has had multiple shoulder surgeries. Shoulder never healed properly. Part of why Tarasenko would like to leave St. Louis. St. Louis is rumored to have been shopping Tarasenko for at least the last 18 months because Tarasenko wanted to leave. There is conjecture that Seattle may select Tarasenko from the Blues and then trade him to a third team and retain some salary to get a better return from that other team that is trying to acquire Tarasenko. In addition to Tarasenko, there are Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne of the Predators. I don't know if either of those players will ultimately end up being selected. Personally, if I were picking for Ron Francis, I would be taking Cal Yonrock, the forward from the Nashville Predators. He is a very, very solid depth piece. He can play right away. 
He has a nice underlying impact, pretty solid wins above replacement, and he's not going to cost as much as Duchesne or Johansson, who are on actively bad contracts. And there's also P.K. Subban of the New Jersey Devils, who is more or less over the hill at this point. P.K. Subban's decline was pretty stark, pretty rapid. Uh, He's not that old in hockey terms. There are plenty of guys in their mid-30s who are passable P.K. Subban is not one of them anymore. He's developed some pretty bad habits in terms of cheating to get into position, reaching with his stick as opposed to getting to that good position. He does not have the foot speed he had earlier in his career, so his recoverable recoverability when he makes a mistake is not what it once was. And he got some pretty bad habits when he was a fast skater, so he's really... He's, he's over the hill. I, I would be very shocked if Seattle selected Subban. Subban does only have one year remaining on his contract, but it is at a hefty $9 million per season. Then the most, I'd say probably the most surprising exposure in this entire expansion process, goaltender carry price of the Montreal Canadiens. Yes, the Montreal Canadiens who were in the Stanley Cup final two weeks ago largely due to the play of Carey Price, left their goaltender, the most expensive goaltender in the NHL, exposed and is daring Seattle to take Price. Now, within the hour of it being reported that Montreal was going to expose Carey Price in the draft, we got new word pretty damn quick from Frank Saravelli, who is at Daily Faceoff now. He used to work at TSN that Price has two separate injuries. He has a knee injury, which is a relatively normal knee injury, and he should be okay with just a little... He might not even need surgery, but the real concern for Price is a hip injury. When you are a goaltender, a hip injury can be a death knell to your career. You think about the word in Boston about Tuka Rask right now, who has had hip surgery... The Bruins aren't expecting Rask back, and there's serious conjecture Rask may retire and just go back to playing professional hockey in Finland. If a goaltender does not have their hips, it is almost impossible for them to be even an average NHL goaltender because so much of today's game is played in that butterfly stance down low where so much of the explosiveness of going post to post comes from your core and your lower body and you need to be able to push post to post and if Price's hip is damaged it could take a while to heal and it may never heal right altogether and so it is a calculated risk from Montreal Canadiens general manager Mark Bergevin, and it makes sense. Because in theory, if these price injuries are true, and he is going to miss significant time, if not all of the 2021-2022 season, Montreal needs to keep Jake Allen. And if they did not protect Jake Allen in the expansion draft and they protected Price, they did not ask him to waive his no-movement clause... Montreal would be going into next season with... Exactly. That is how dire the situation in Montreal would be if the Canadians left 
Jake Allen exposed because coming into this offseason, the expectation was that Jake Allen was and Chris Drieger were going to be two of the three goalies that Seattle was going to take. And then they could take up to four and look to shop two of the other ones and then get a prospect one somewhere in a return from some deal and get the pipeline going because goaltenders are always going to maintain some value on the market. Not a ton. It's very hard to get fair value for a goaltender. But you can definitely get something for an NHL starter. And we're going to get to who I picked from each NHL team in a minute for my expansion draft. This episode isn't particularly long because I don't want to beat this over the head. This is a pretty straightforward episode just going over the different rules, the different theories going into this. So if you are Seattle, there are two ways of looking at this expansion draft. Number one, you can try to set something up and have a slow ascension. You take a couple of the name brand guys who make a little bit of money this year, you sell some jerseys, you name a captain, you're competitive, but you're not the bet you're not going to look to contend right out of the gate. You're not going to be that aggressive in trades or free agency. You're going to look down the road, you're going to look at the trade deadline for the 2021-2022 season, turn some of your expiring contracts into assets and slowly build out your organization from the bottom up. You're going to want as many draft picks as possible to fill out the bottom half of that roster because a lot of these players you are going to be selecting in this expansion draft are going to be in their mid to late 20s or some going to even be in their 30s and then the rest that aren't are going to be unproven guys who teams didn't get enough out of to protect in the draft so you're not looking at a ton in terms of long-term sustainability which is why if you wanted to build slowly people would understand they know you need talent to be able to compete three and four years from now because for the most part guys that seattle are going to take are only under contract for another year or two. Uh, When I did my cap-friendly simulator, where cap-friendly, if you're not familiar, is the website which logs every NHL contract, uh, they have an interactive Seattle expansion draft tool, and you could pick the one player from each team, you got to meet all the requirements, keep it under the salary cap. One of the things I did not realize was that my entire team had just... $60 million in salaries for the 2022-2023 season because there were so many free agents within two calendar years of the expansion draft. And I realized that I picked those players unconsciously on their contract situation because that's what I always do in NHL when I'm playing the EA Sports NHL franchise when I have a middling team. I just try and get as many draft picks as possible and then use the draft picks to either select players or in trades to get already established players. That's the one way you could do this. The other way you can do this is do what Vegas did and be aggressive as hell in the trade market, weaponize your cap space, and anytime there's a big fish available in a trade market, if there's a Mark Stone out there, you go and trade for him. If there's a Max Pacioretty, you trade for him. If there's an Alex Petrangelo, you make the best offer in free agency and say, I don't care that we have only been in existence for two or three years. We can compete right now. I don't know how wise that is, and I don't know how replicable that is. It's really going to depend on some of the side deals that get made because the bulk of Vegas's early success came from those side deals. I mean, the, the talk Marsh show, Riley Smith, uh, William Carlson group, those are all really 
that's left of that initial team. There's them, Marc-Andre Fleury, not a ton of guys remaining from that initial wave of expansion. There will be significant roster turnover in Seattle. Most of the guys selected will not be on the team come two years from now. Now, when it comes to finding value, it's very clear from the requirements, the protection requirements for the existing teams, there are going to be more good defensemen than forwards available. And there are a decent amount of good goaltenders available. When it comes to how I was evaluating this, it was a few things. Number one, I wanted to maintain financial flexibility as much as possible in the terms of contracts that expire within a year or two, contracts that are cost-effective, where they make sense for the player based on what their production is right now. And I wanted to be decent out of the gate. I did not want only optimism and this guy could be good down the road. So without further ado, my team, it's not the flashiest team, but a lot of the statistical models like it, the roster builder tools that are out there, using JFresh Hockey's model, which is behind his uh, Patreon paywall, his model particularly liked my team. He had my team uh, at 102-point pace based on the 2021-2022 forecasted wins above replacement. Granted, that is no indicator of how the team will actually play when it is in-game. The bulk of this team are third and second-line players. There are a few fourth-line guys. There's maybe two, one genuine first-liners on this team in the forward group. but And there's no way of knowing how these guys will play in an expanded role. But without further ado... Starting with the starting 18, the 12 forwards, 6 defensemen. From the Carolina Hurricanes, Nino Niederreiter, solid two-way player, not that expensive. Five million is a little bit pricey, but he's got really strong impacts both offensively and defensively. He will be fine right out of the gate. You can trade him down the line for assets, and he's not going to hurt you. The best forward you are going to get is our number one center for the Seattle Kraken, Yanni Gord of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Gord was an undrafted free agent from the Quebec Major Junior League. The Lightning developed him into one of the best depth centers in hockey, arguably the center on the best third line in all of hockey last year. Strong two-way impacts. This is the best forward I have Seattle taking. If you think Vladimir Tarasenko is going to be healthy and you wanted to take Tarasenko, yes, Tarasenko is better than Gord if he is healthy, but there's no guarantee of that. Tarasenko hasn't played close to a full season in two years. Right wing from the Ottawa Centers, Evgeny Dadnov. Not great underlying impacts, very offense heavy, not a ton of defense, but he'll score goals. He's an asset you can flip at the trade deadline, a competent player. He was a first-line player for a bad Senators team. Dadnov is a fine player. Nothing fancy, a little bit pricey, but you can retain some of that salary and trade him down the road, or if you are being competitive, he can easily slide down in your lineup. Second line left wing, Kale Yanrock from the Nashville Predators. I think I'm saying that right, Yanrock. Yanrock, I'm not sure. Knox will yell at me either way, but... Yankrock, solid two-way forward, will be able to play up and down that lineup. A Swiss Army Knight 
knife type of player that has some versatility. Nothing too flashy, not the most polished of finisher, which is an overall theme of all 12 of these forwards. None of them are the most polished of finishers, so maybe they all have good play driving numbers and they can possess the puck a lot, but they, they will have to figure out who's actually going to put the puck in the net once they possess it. Center from the Toronto Maple Leafs. I went with Jared McCann. I know I've seen a lot of people say Alex Kerfoot, who would make sense. Alex Kerfoot would have been my pick before the expansion draft, but McCann is a year younger. He has another year of team control. His wins above replacement for last season was terrific. A really strong player. Someone I would have considered picking from the Penguins if he was still a Penguin, but got traded to Toronto for a prospect that was originally property of the Penguins that they sent up to Toronto in the Kasperi Kapanen trade. Right wing, as of now, he is still available. I have Jordan Eberle from the New York Islanders. The Islanders left both Josh Bailey and Jordan Eberle exposed. One of those two players will not be an Islander come this upcoming season. It's, it's pretty obvious that the Islanders want to get another top six winger somewhere in there. They've been linked to Vladimir Tarasenko. They could possibly look at Gabriel Landeskog in free agency, but... One of Josh Bailey and Jordan Eberle will not be an Islander after the season. I went with Eberle. He's slightly better when it comes to regular season production. Josh Bailey's been very good the last two years for the Islanders in the playoffs, but in the regular season, I think I would rather have Eberle. Left wing, third line, LA Kings, Andreas, Athenasiu. This is one of those projection guys. I like his traits. He's big. He's fast. In an ideal world, you can get him back to what he was doing in Detroit. He hasn't panned out. There is talent there. We've seen it in flashes, in spurts. He's very fast in a straight line. Never totally figured out the rest of the game. But you got to take someone from every team. And Athenasiu is the most tantalizing. The Kings did leave goaltender Jonathan Quick exposed. But at this point in his career, I have no interest in taking Jonathan Quick. Not even in the trade market because it'd be difficult to trade him. From the San Jose Sharks, Ryan Donato, former Bruin, son of an NHL player. He, He's fine. He's never going to be quite as good as he looked when he was in Boston. But... I have no problem taking another guy. He's not that expensive. He has some offensive upside. Not the best impacts defensively, but you got to fill out the roster, and he was the most interesting player you could get from San Jose. Right wing, Jonas Donskoy, Colorado Avalanche. He was already playing at a really high level on the third line for a Stanley Cup contender in Colorado. Donskoy has really strong defensive impacts. He played on that line with Comfort and uh, Nishchukin. Really, really good third line there. No reason why he could not do the same thing in Seattle. He will not cost a ton. He is cost-fixed. Fourth line, left wing. I took Blake Cuomo from the Dallas Stars. There's absolutely nobody on the Stars who's even the slightest bit interesting. There's no restricted free agent or pending unrestricted free agent. Cuomo's a depth 35-year-old. He might retire if Seattle selects him, in all honesty, or they could just try to trade him right away. Like I said, you had to take someone from every team, and there's no obvious one from Seattle. Excuse me, from Dallas for Seattle. Center, fourth line, Ryan Stenland, Columbus Blue Jackets. He's a restricted free agent. 
I never really heard of this guy. He was the only one that was interesting to me on Columbus. I saw another person's projections for what Seattle would do, and they had this guy. I looked at his isolated impacts in, like, the 40 games of NHL experience he had. He's fine. Not a ton of NHL experience. He will need to get playing time, and I just don't want Max Domi because I don't think Max Domi's ever going to be what he was that what, that one flash in Montreal a couple of years ago. His defensive impacts are not good. He is not scoring above expectation like he did when he was in Montreal. No real interest in getting saddled with another $5.5 million per year contract. Right wing from the Rangers, Colin Blackwell. I thought the Rangers were going to protect Blackwell. Instead, they protect Kevin Rooney. They value Rooney. They picture Rooney as being a part of their fourth line going forward. I disagree. Blackwell's a fine NHL player on a good team. Colin Blackwell is probably a third line or fourth line player. Hell, in an ideal world, he could probably do what Blake Coleman does. He can do what Barkley Goudreau does. But the Rangers opted for the more conventional, gritty third line player. I think Blackwell has some NHL upside, even though he hasn't gotten a ton of playing time, not a ton of games. He did pop more than 10 goals on a Rangers team where, yes, he got to play with Artemi Panarin and Ryan Strome, but he still had to put the puck in the net. Now, transitioning to the defense. This is where we can have some fun because we can actually get some decent guys in here. I opted to go none of the flashy names at forward. I took Mark Giordano from Calgary, one year remaining. Obvious trade deadline, rental candidate. Still a solid NHL defenseman. He can be your captain if you decide to retain him for the full season, for the first year of existence. He's a really, really solid player. Good leadership ability. The kind of guy that makes sense for an expansion team to take. First pair of right D. I took Dylan DeMello from the Winnipeg Jets. DeMello got decent amount of run in Winnipeg where it was hard to be a good defenseman because they were such a tire fire at five on five. They did not possess the puck a whole ton. They were getting out scoring chance pretty consistently on a nightly basis and leaving it up to Connor Hellebuck. But Dylan DeMello was the most tantalizing there. I know a few people I saw had Mason Appleton, the forward from the Jets, but I instead opted for Dylan DeMello, who's a little bit higher end. He's got some contract left, and he's pretty talented. He, in a good situation, he could play pretty well for you. Speaking of reclamation projects, Shane Gostaspare, Philadelphia Flyers. The Flyers might have the three best players exposed in the draft in Jake Voracek, James Van Riemsdyk, and Shane Gostaspare. Personally, I'm going with Gostaspare and the idea that away from Elaine Vigneault, that Gostaspare can be fixed. He's still relatively young. He's cost-controlled. And the James Van Riemsdyk and Jake Voracek contracts are just too bad to take. Unless the Flyers are giving me something to select one of those guys on top of taking their contracts, I'm not touching one of them. Gostaspare is about $5.5 million. You can retain some of that money, make it work. If you wanted to trade him, if you can recapture some of that value, you're going to get the theme here that I'm selecting all of these guys with the possibility that I could trade them down the line because I would opt for the more passive and patient approach to building out this team and trying to acquire as many assets as possible. Colin Miller, defenseman, Buffalo Sabres. He's a fine. On most teams, he's a third pair, right D. I have him second pair here. You, you could in, in, 
interchange him with the third pair right that I have, but I've always liked Colin Miller's game, whether he was on Vegas, when he was in Boston. He's always been solid. He's nothing flashy, but he won't kill you at 5-on-5, five five, which is really all you can ask for of a depth defenseman. Third pair lefty, one of my projects, Hayden Fleury, Anaheim Ducks, formerly of the Carolina Hurricanes. Never got any real playing time there in Carolina. Carolina traded him to Anaheim. He's a restricted free agent. He does need a contract. Fleury just needs some playing time. He has the tools to be good at the NHL level. I think he can be good. And getting a fresh start in somewhere like Seattle where he's going to have an opportunity to grow is good. And I'm picking his right right defensive partner, Troy Stetcher, with that in mind of pairing Stetcher and Flurry together. Stetcher is a Red Wing, had a really nice playoffs for the Vancouver Canucks in the bubble two years ago, cashed out in Detroit. Detroit, Steve Eiserman, general manager, left him exposed. Stetcher seems like one of the more obvious ones because this is the guy who's still relatively young and still pretty good, which is something that's pretty hard to get in an expansion draft. Now, goalies. This is where you could actually find some pretty good value. There are several decent goaltenders out there. First, Drieger. We already kind of know the ball is in motion there. Like I mentioned at the top, that Elliot Friedman reported that it, they were already working on a free agent contract with Seattle, Drieger's representation. So that seems pretty obvious. And then there are a few schools of thought here. You could either opt for a veteran to tandem with Drieger, that way in case Drieger was actually just, you know, Cinderella's carriage turning back into a pumpkin, you wouldn't totally be exposed that first year of existence. Or you could opt for another younger guy with a little bit smaller sample size and hope that one of the two hits. Or you could be looking at goaltender as a way of getting some extra assets like I did. So we have Drieger, then Drieger, Florida Panthers, then I have Brayden Holtby from the Vancouver Canucks to work as the veteran tandem to go with Drieger. Holtby, two years remaining at about $4.5 million. Not a great contract, but on an okay team, Holtby can probably be passable. You need someone with a little bit of NHL experience in net because it could get ugly there as an expansion team for Seattle. So don't skimp on goaltending. Next. From the Pittsburgh Penguins, I have Casey DeSmith. I know a few of my Penguin fan friends said they're not going to take Casey DeSmith. They're going to take Zach Aston Reese. Aston Reese is a very good defensive third or fourth line forward. I think Casey DeSmith has more value. I'm just thinking about trying to get more assets. DeSmith had okay underlying results. He had some decent goals saved above expected for Pittsburgh before he got hurt during the 2021 season. Last goaltender. Vitek Vanacek from Washington, rookie, like Drieger, not a son of experience, played okay for Washington, was not the reason they fell off a cliff in the playoffs against the Bruins, him, Samsonov, Chris Anderson got in there for a while. Not the only reason Washington struggled, but I think Vanacek has some value out on the market. He's young. He had a decent flash for a decent team in Washington. So I could see a world in which Seattle takes four goalies and looks to trade two of them to get assets back. Now, wrapping up, these are the extras. Like I said, you got to take someone from all 30 teams. So Nick Ritchie, winger, Bruins. Christian Fisher, winger, Arizona Coyotes. Sorry to my Devils fan friends. I'm breaking up the Super Buddies. Nathan Bastion, New Jersey Devils. Dominic Kahn, Edmonton Oilers, Brett Kulak, 
defenseman, Montreal Canadiens, Carton Soucy, defenseman, Minnesota Wild, Nikita Zadorov, Chicago. That is another rumor we have heard out in the wild that Seattle is going to attempt to sign Zadorov prior to selecting him. Zadorov is a pending free agent. And then the last pick here I have is Vince Dunn. Analytical darling two years ago for the St. Louis Blues. He was not particularly good this past season. The Blues were not a good team, but we all wanted to see Dunn take a little bit of a step forward in a bigger role, and he did not play that well. So my team is going for long-term sustainability here. I've got guys who are close to or are going to be unrestricted or restricted free agents within a year or two of being selected so we can turn them into draft picks and prospects down the road to set up our team to be competitive down the road. That's what I'm looking for here. I know some people will take Tarasenko. I know some people will try to get rights to someone. I I know I've seen a few people say that Seattle should take Gabriel Landeskog's rights and try to sign him. Jonas Donskoy or JT Comfort are both pretty solid players you can get from Colorado. I'd rather just roll the dice that Landeskog gets to unrestricted free agency and I can make him an offer he's interested in. I said this wasn't going to be a long episode, but I still hit the 40-minute mark. God damn, I got to learn when to stop talking. So I hope I covered everything you were curious about for the expansion draft. I gave you a look into what some of these teams might end up looking like, why teams made certain players available, and why Seattle is such an amazing opportunity to see just what the brain trusts of hockey can do. It's not very often you get to have a blank slate and completely start a team over, so When there are teams that can start from scratch, it's very interesting to see where hockey thought is. And when I say hockey thought, I mean collectively when it comes to the decision makers within the game. Will we start to see the trends towards making decisions based on production as opposed to intangibles? Will we start seeing decisions made on future production as opposed to what a player has given you in the past? All of these things are part of this discussion. We will see how the NHL media machine does. I feel like if this were an NBA expansion draft, Woj and Shams would already have the 15 players selected and the terms of the contracts for any free agents going to the expansion team. Speaking of, Seattle, bring back the Supersonics. NBA, Adam Silver, get on that. All right, I will see you guys tomorrow. We will have some fun. We're going to be talking hockey might be looking ahead a little bit towards free agency and trades and the entry draft as opposed to the expansion draft. Not 100% positive yet. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I will see you guys tomorrow.